I want to pray with you and then move into our teaching today. Dear God, 500 dogs, what's, what's the deal with that? And it, it, it was heart-touching to read that uh, press release, that report about so many people responding so quickly to the plight of these helpless creatures. Holy Father, You've made the point already. We get it. How much more value are the children created in Your image on this earth? We continue our our pondering, our wrestling with that question. And of course, the cry of our hearts, Dear Father, what can we do? We want to do something. What can we do? Show us again. Keep at us. Keep with us. Thank you for being for us. In Jesus' name we wait upon you. Amen. I want to talk from the heart for a moment. I'm going to step away from my notes. The introduction I was going to use, I'm not going to use now. You know, you and I have the privilege of living in the midst of 3,000 young adults living and ministering. I don't need to remind you that this has been a particularly deadly week for young adults in America. Twenty-one young adults, essentially young adults, crushed to death in the Windy City, just a few yards, miles from us in Chicago. And then we woke up yesterday morning to learn 96 young adults burned to death in Rhode Island. I don't want to dwell long on the tragedy of those two stories that hit America this week. But late last night as I had some quiet time to reflect and to pray, it brought tears to my eyes to wonder out loud to God how many of those 117 American young adults were ready to face Christ Thursday night on that dance floor and early Monday morning at the E2 Lounge in Chicago. How many were ready? And God, what have I done to help not just young adults, to help human beings who today are not ready. If they died right now, it would be over for eternity. You know, Pioneer family, all this, all this winter we've been seeking a solidarity with God, a solidarity with God's passion. Surely part of that solidarity would mean that the, that, that the burden for these who have not found Christ yet on earth would be a burden we carry. You know, I said to God, I, what could I, I couldn't do anything in Rhode Island. He said, you're right. I said, I couldn't do anything in Chicago. I don't even live around Chicago. He said, you're right. I'm not asking you to do anything in Rhode Island. I'm not asking you to do anything in Chicago. I want to know, Dwight, 
What are you doing for the people who are just as trapped where you live? Did you see the pictures? I mean, they, they shot home videos of the dance hall going up in flames. It's not on BBC. People were trapped. They wanted to get out. They wanted to be free. They wanted to live longer. They could not extricate themselves. They, are, they were trapped and they died. Do you know that the poor in America are trapped? They want to be free. They want to live on. But they cannot extricate themselves from the cruel fate of circumstances that have entrapped them. And they're going to die, some of them. They're going to die. We cannot just say, oh, well, Dwight's got another theme on his heart and let's endure this with him. He'll get over it and we will get over it. No, we won't get over it. We can't just brush it off. I think of 117 Americans who have gone to the judgment the second coming has already come for them. Were they ready to go? From that dance floor to the throne of God. If you're living a life right now that you do not want to transition from to the throne of God, my friend, surely stories and tragedies such as these are a solemn and somber appeal to our hearts. Prepare, Amos 4.11, prepare to meet your God. If you're living a life right now, and you don't have to be a young adult, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're listening on the radio. You're here. You know. If you're living a life... You would not want to go straight from to the throne. Change your life. Better yet, come to the Savior. Stay with Jesus and live the life of Christ. Saw a piece, Sunday paper, the Herald Palladium. Homeless. Can you see this? Where's the camera? Homeless. Falling through the cracks. My friend Larry Ulrey spotted this article for me. It's about the Benton Harbor shelter for the homeless. Do you know, you heard the number, last year, 261, I think I said 271, 261. Last year, 261 children, all in the care of a homeless parent or guardian, took shelter in the county's emergency shelter for families on Pipestone Street in Benton Harbor. I saw Rob and Sarah Sink here, who are our representative leaders for, this, for the soup kitchen. Listen to this. An icy wind pierced the thin jackets and bare hands of people huddled against the cold, heading for the Benton Harbor soup kitchen on a recent winter day. Once inside, the men, women, and children, black and white, old and young, were able to address at least one common problem, hunger. A host of other basic needs, shelter, heat, electricity, running water, a hot shower, went unmet that day and for many days afterward for these and other of Berrien County's homeless and precariously housed residents. Biggest, biggest component now in the homeless. According to... Uh, Jim 
Keller works with a volunteer organization. Young single-parent families with children are the fastest-growing component of the area's homeless population. Jim Carraher, chairman of the Volunteer Homeless Resolution Network. Any little blip in your employment situation, even just one week without a paycheck, is a catastrophe when you're living hand-to-mouth, using everything you're making just to survive, Carraher said. Even with two adults working, the minimum wage does not pay enough to allow people to live decently in the housing that's available. Now, one more line. Being homeless means you've lost the most fundamental physical needs, he said. You are hanging by a thread every day of your life. You want to know what it's like to be poor? You don't know, most of you. You want to know? That's it. You are hanging by a thread every day of your life. I wish you'd write that down right now. Our brand new study guide for today. Would you pull it out, please? And our ushers are ready to take uh, our new study guide. Just hold your hand up if you don't have a study guide. I see children here, and I want to make sure the children get the study guides, too. And gentlemen, uh, just go right down the aisles quickly. Hold your hand up and pick up these extra study guides. And those of you who are listening on the radio or watching on television, www, you go to our website, www.pmchurch, Pioneer Memorial Church, pmchurch.org. Three clicks and you'll be at this very same study guide. It's part five of the, our series, The Repairs of the Breach. So just click on to part five and boom, there will be the study guide for you. I want you to get what it's like to be poor. Let's put it at the, the, the very first line of today's study guide. Would you fill it in, please? What's it like to be poor? You're hanging by a thread every day of your life. How'd you like to live that way? Some of you are saying, I do. I know. I know you do. That's why we're returning today to this series that has been our focus all winter long. Isaiah chapter 58. God's solidarity with the poor. This Jesus who was so passionate and compassionate for the poor that He chose voluntarily. He who was rich has become poor so that through His poverty, 2 Corinthians 8, we might become rich. Jesus who died penniless, broke on Calvary. Not, not an estate, not a will, not, not, a, not a penny, not, not a home, nothing but an overcoat and some underwear. God's solidarity with the poor. God knows the threadbare existence of the poor who are hanging on by a thread every day of their lives. And because He knows and cares, would you write this down, please? He calls us to know and care. Oh, there, Proverbs says, if you turn your eyes away from the plight of the poor, if you shut your ears to their cries, God says, no, you must know. I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you live in that comfort without knowing and caring. Which is why God is so passionate. Here in Isaiah 58, our theme passage for this teaching series. Open your Bible again, please, to Isaiah 58. And while you're finding Isaiah 58, I need to, I need to say a, a word here. A word of gratitude and thanksgiving for the astounding and spontaneous way you responded in church a few days ago. We've never done this before in Pioneer's history, at least you and I together, taking two offerings on one Sabbath. But I felt impressed. And I, and I, I now am clear you felt impressed too. I took up an offering at the end of both services, as you know. And 
you, you had no idea there was going to be an offering. You came with no preparation, but just in those two sittings here, over $12,000 was given by this congregation for the poor. Wow. You know, most of us are students or employees of the church, which never spells wealth. And yet, look what you did. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, on behalf of the poor, I want to thank you. That money's going to work. Thank you. I thank God for what you have done. I thank God for what you are doing. I thank God for what you and I are yet to do. For these for whom He has such a passionate solidarity. You know, I sense in my heart that God's doing something in our midst. Irrespective of you and me, but He's doing something. There's a, a stirring up of the Spirit. And, I've, and, and I'm going to wonder out loud with you, could it be that in the light of the rather desperate times, can, can you believe this, what we're living in right now? In the light of the rather desperate times, that are spreading around the face of this dysfunctional globe. Maybe it isn't coincidental. Maybe it is not accidental that this teaching comes to us by direct order of God at this time it comes. I was going to deal with this back in September of 2001. Then September 11 came and I just blew everything out of the water and forgot all about it until last November it just came. You, you must go back to this theme. Did you see Newsweek magazine's cover story this week? In fact, write this in on your, on your study guide. The anatomy of fear. Big head of a, of a human being and, the, and, and what brain inside. They are now studying the, the operative American psyche today. We're not sure. Are we living under orange? Are we living under yellow? Or is this red alert time? America is afraid of... <laughs> Talking to one of you yesterday, you said, you know, it's just like somebody drops a glass in a restaurant and we all scramble for cover. Now, the rest of the world has lived this way in certain places. It's true. It's finally coming to us. You know, I, I think of what Jesus said in Luke 21, 26. He said, the, I want you to know something. The operative psyche of the world just before I return. In fact, would you fill this in in your study guide, please? Luke chapter 21, 26. People will faint from fear and foreboding over what is coming. We don't even know what it is. Are we going to war with Iraq or not? Will there be a September 11 equivalent strike in America as retribution for our moving into that country? We have no idea. It's just something is coming and the alert now is orange. And so here we are. Men's hearts failing them. For fear. You know, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, and you're, you don't have to be afraid, and I know you're not. And God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear? Psalm 46, 1. You're not afraid. In fact, you know what Jesus said two lines later in Luke 21? Jesus said, look it. When these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, for your redemption is drawing nigh. You don't have to be afraid. Even if my life ends tonight, what's there to fear? In Christ Jesus, we are secure. 
We are as secure as it is divinely and humanly possible. Nobody, no man, no one who comes to me, Jesus says in John 6, no man can snatch them out of my hand. No one who comes to me, well, I will in no wise cast out. I like those double negatives. Yeah. But before Christ returns, and here's the key. This is what I've been kind of brooding on. Before Christ returns, for this particular community of faith, solidarity with the poor must be confronted. Because you know why? The issue is not solidarity with the poor. The issue is solidarity with Jesus. That's the issue. Are you one with me, he says. That's all I'm asking. This is the only way I'm going to find out. If you're really beating with me, I want you to sell what you have. Give to the poor and follow me. Solidarity with the poor is just a front. It's a test for solidarity with Jesus. Because if He is my Lord, then I must have His heart. I must have His heart. Which is why this teaching of God is so timely for me. It leads me to an anonymous postcard I got this week. Don't you just love these anonymous postcards that have a return address, an email return address, but no name? Now, what is up with that? I'm glad I got this card because it has a wonderful quotation on it. And it's signed a brother in Jesus, so I, I feel safe with this card. I want to share with you. I want to put on the screen here the quotation he shared with me. Beautiful. See, this is why this teaching is so timely. Thank you, my friend, whoever you are, because I'm not answering your email address. Because then you'll find out mine. All right, let's read here. Whatever you may possess above your fellows. Whatever you may possess above your fellows places you in debt to that degree to all who are less favored. I need to tell you that this is from that little classic on the Sermon on the Mount, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Whatever you may possess above your fellows places you in debt to that degree. Speaking of degrees, here is a campus that is just brimming with degrees. Now, I don't think the author meant that, but we can segue on that. If you have degrees that, have, that raise you above the common walk of the human journey, and you have that degree, that degree has made you now indebted to those less fortunate than you. You cannot hang that degree on the wall and believe you have achieved your great purpose in life. You were given that degree and the smarts to earn it for a reason. Whatever you may possess above your fellows places you in debt. This is in the study guide. Isn't that great? So you can take this quote home. Places you in debt to that degree to those who are less favored. Have we wealth or even the comforts of life? Some of you say, I don't have a degree. Do you have the comforts of life? Yep. Okay. Have we wealth or even, I'm not wealthy, you're saying, go, but do you have the comforts of life? Then we are under the most solemn obligation to care for the suffering sick, the widow, and the fatherless exactly as we would desire them to care for us were our condition and theirs to be reversed. When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, now hold on, the same power will attend the gospel as in apostolic times. We are going to have Pentecostal power come down on a community of faith that begins to practice the golden rule for those in need. You know, some of you are wearing your knees out praying for the latter rain. Get off your knees. Get out into the streets. You want the golden oil? 
Follow the golden rule. We've prayed long enough. Let's start working for our prayers. Get out on the streets. When you live by the golden rule, you will get the golden oil. And like the apostolic church, in a single generation, be over. Solidarity with the poor is all about solidarity with Jesus. The times, would you write this down, please? The times are indeed ripe and ripe and right for us to hear and heed. Not just hear, we must heed. All right, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. Here I am talking and haven't found it yet. Isaiah 58. There it is. Let's pick it up in verse 5. I'm going to start a verse early. Start verse 5. Isaiah 58, verse 5. Is this the fast that I have chosen? A day for a man? Speaking of the cleansing of the sanctuary, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? I'm just going to pray for the latter rain. I'm just going to pray and pray and pray. Is this what I want, God says? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord to me? No, he said, that's not the fast I'm waiting for. I'm tired of your prayers and your worship. Let me see something. Is not this the fast, verse 6, there we go, that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. I'm telling you, you could not read a more compelling description of social justice anywhere in the Scriptures. Social justice. This past week we convened a new Solidarity with the Poor Task Force, composed mainly of faculty at Andrews University, some social workers, a couple of us on the staff. I was amazed as, as I sat down and listened to these community activists. I am so proud of this university. We've got some great community activists. And I'm picking their brains because I want to know, what can we do? We cannot just let this be a little flash in the pan and then get on to something else in this congregation. What can we do to keep this front and center in our consciousness as a campus and as a campus a congregation? And I'm listening to them as they tell me, that the inner city poor in Benton Harbor are enchained by cycles of ignorance and misfortune. They're, this bondage, the breaking the yoke, the oppressed, unless the poor can be given skills and tools, they will remain in economic and social bondage. They have to be given something to help move on. You can throw money. You can throw money. And money helps. But it's not the final solution. A bondage and an oppression that is just like a war. I need to tell you this. A few Sabbaths ago, I went out with our students door-to-door -door in Benton Harbor. Had a wonderful time. They have a very simple strategy, by the way. Here's what they do. They say, Dwight, we'll teach you, teach you how to do this. We bet you could do this, too, if you really practice, Dwight. They, we, we go up to a door, and I finally got it down. Hi, I'm Dwight, and this is my friend Brad. We're from Andrews University, and we've come to this neighborhood because we want to pray with you. Do you have any prayer needs? I was amazed at how quickly the residents of Benton Harbor respond in the affirmative. We went to the first house, a 13-year-old kid with a basketball NBA T-shirt on, and I'm thinking... And Brad was doing it, and I'm saying, we're not going to get anywhere with this one. And Brad said, and can we pray with you? And that young man looked for a moment. After Brad had commented on his T-shirt, he thought for a moment. He said, yes, I wish you would pray. And Brad said, what should we pray for? He said, I wish you would pray that I would do well in school. 
We went door to door, praying with people. That's all. No tools, just a heart that meant its prayers. And we're, we're down at the end of this block, and it's, a, it, it's some kind of business establishment, and there's a Cadillac parked out in front, and on the Cadillac window, big bumper sticker, Jesus is Lord. I said, Brad, watch this, man. We have an entree into this place, and so we go getting the snow off our boots, and we come on in to discover it's a beauty salon. <laughs> we come in, and I said, hey, who owns that car out front that has on the, on the window, Jesus is Lord? The place went dead silent. And I smiled. I said, hey, the, the reason I'm asking is because we're from Andrews University and we're out praying with people and I knew there would be people to pray with in here. And then the smiles and the talk. And we visited. While the hair was being done, we visited. Talked about Iraq. And one man waiting, another customer waiting, said, you know, I was in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. He said, I live in Vietnam. I said, pardon me? He said, I live in Vietnam. I said, what do you mean? He gestured to Benton Harbor. He said, I live in Vietnam. I was amazed. Because I could understand somebody like me walking into that neighborhood and saying, you know, this place reminds me of Vietnam. But for a resident there to describe his neighborhood as a war zone, that is exactly what God is dealing with here. Is not this the fast that I seek? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke, verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, and when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? What we have just read, ladies and gentlemen, is a powerful divine call. Would you write this down, please? A call for social justice in verse 6 and a call for, for social action in verse 7. The system itself that enchains and binds the poor must be challenged and changed. And that's where this university comes in. Because the task force noted there is such a crying need for those who can teach and train to go into the inner city, not as some great teacher, to go in as a brother, to go in as a sister and say, I want to share with you something. Let's spend a few evenings together to break those in cycles of despair. You remember that quotation we read a moment ago on that anonymous postcard? To the degree you are benefited above others. You are indebted to them. That's why I'm so proud of Andrews University for the CSAP program, the Community Service Action Project. You know what this program is? Training students who go from here into that community to train the residents and give them the, the requisite tools to break the war zone cycle of despair. I'm so grateful for this university for that vision that is here. But you know, it, it, isn't it rather nervy of God? Rather cheeky of God, isn't it? I mean, look, to introduce social justice and social action into the job description of the chosen ones. I mean, we know these are the chosen ones because Isaiah 58 begins with the cleansing of the sanctuary and the chapter ends with the keeping of the Sabbath. And in between, God introduces social justice. What a God. I mean, I, I need to tell you this. I happen to belong to a community of faith that believes its mission is to champion God's S's. I belong to a community like that. In fact, would you write these down? Maybe it's your community too. This community believes it's to champion God's salvation. 
This community believes, this community that I belong to, believes that it is to champion the Sabbath. This community believes that it's to champion the second coming. This community believes it's to champion the sanctuary. Why? This community that I'm a part of believes that it's to champion the state of the dead. But Isaiah 58 makes it more than clear that unless there are some other S's in that list, all of those S's will never get you to heaven in the end. They won't. That's what God is saying in this disturbing passage. In fact, watch this. Jesus once upon a time performed a miracle that taught this very truth. Oh, powerfully did He make the point. And He did it on the Sabbath. Let's go to the screen here. Keep your Bible there at Isaiah 58. Let's go to the screen. Matthew chapter 12. I love this story. Matthew chapter 12. This, is, this will be from the New Living Translation. Then he went over to the synagogue. That's Jesus, see? He's going to the synagogue on the Sabbath where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it legal to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were, of course, hoping he would say yes so that they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If... You had one sheep, one dog. No, we'll keep it sheep. If you had one sheep and it fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you get to work and pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable then is a person than a sheep? Yes, it is right to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, reach out your hand. The man reached out his hand. It became as normal as the other hand. Then the Pharisees called a committee and discussed plans for killing Jesus. You want to know why? Look, you want to know why the Pharisees were so ticked at Jesus? You want to know why? Because they are furious. Since Jesus has just declared, would you write this down please? Jesus has just declared that their passionate defense of the right day was bankrupt. Write that down. Their passionate defense of the right day was bankrupt without a passionate display of the right way. They had the day of the Sabbath rites, but they were dead wrong about the way of the Sabbath. And what's the way of the Sabbath? Oh, it's in the New Living. Get this down. So now you have it. That one line from the New Living, Matthew 12, verse 10. It is right to do good. I like that. It is right to do good on the Sabbath. You want to know the right way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And the life. Follow me. And we follow Jesus. And can you believe this? Seven of His most powerful, seven omnipotent miracles were reserved for the seventh day Sabbath. Wow. 
Seven miracles. It is lawful, New King James, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Because don't forget it. We had this teaching a few weeks ago. Orthodoxy, the right day, is bankrupt without orthopraxy, the right way. And Jesus taught us that. Isaiah 58 is teaching us that. That's why Isaiah 58, you have it still open there. That's why it ends. I want to end with this. That's why this chapter ends the way it does. Verse 13, God says, look, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath and from doing your pleasure on my... Let's not, be, let's not have any under, misunderstanding here, God. The Lord's day is my day and the Lord's day is the Sabbath day because Mark 2.28, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath day. So we know which day is the Lord's day. My day, it's the Sabbath. If you will refrain from doing your pleasure on my holy day and you will call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and you shall honor Him. There's only one way in Isaiah 58 we have been taught how to honor Him. Do you know what that way is? Social action. That's the only teaching in this entire chapter. You want to honor me? Honor it in my way. What's my way, God? Read the chapter, boy. Read the chapter. On the Sabbath, honor my holy day in my holy way. Honor me. Not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Verse 14, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isn't that something? I mean, can you believe this? God starts out with this passionate plea for social justice and social action, and He ends with a soliloquy. On Sabbath observance, he says, look, they're made for each other. As if to say, would you write this down? As if to say, you will only get my day right when you get my way right. Which is precisely the point. In these words, in a little book called Welfare Ministry... According to the fourth commandment, the Sabbath was dedicated to rest and religious worship. All secular employment was to be suspended, but works of mercy and benevolence were in accordance with the purpose of the Lord. Now, I put this line in your study guide. To relieve the afflicted, to comfort the sorrowing, is a labor of love that does honor to God's holy day. There it is. The perfect solution for a time-impoverished, postmodern community of faith. You're saying in this series, I don't have much money. Pastor, I, have, I, I just don't have much money. And I want to tell you something. I have no time left for the poor. And God says, time out. What do you mean you have no time left? You have a whole day that I have given to you. You never have to tell me you're time-impoverished again. Jesus said, it is right to do good on the Sabbath, which being interpreted means Sabbath afternoons are a gift of God through you to the poor, the suffering, the lonely, and the needy. Need to be with your family? Then take your family to the needy on the Sabbath afternoon. Want to be with your friends? Then take your friends with you to the poor. On a Sabbath afternoon. 
wish to enjoy a Sabbath rest, then take the rest of Jesus to someone in need on a Sabbath afternoon. If you call the Sabbath a delight and spend my day in my way, says the Lord, I will give you the promised land. End quote. What can I do? Well, there it is on the back of your study guide, a sample list. We'll call this my day in my way. God says, you know, my day in my way. You want to spend it? Take a look at this list. Then I'll have the benediction. We sing a hymn. What can you do? Oh, number one, AU Outreach to Benton Harbor. It's a meeting this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Come and join me. Love to have you. We're going to be there with the students. Be a part of it. You don't have to be a student to go to this. You don't have to be a student to go door-to-door in Benton Harbor. And by the way, if you don't want to go door-to-door, there's, there, there's story hours. You can lead the children. Well, I tell you, when your minister of music interrupts you at the end of your sermon, you know something is very important. We'll see. We'll get back to that. So, Sabbath afternoon. This afternoon, 3 o'clock, lamps and all. Sunshine bands. Ooh, remember those? Sunshine bands. Barry and Jenna, right over here, Lakeland Hospital. It's now long, mainly it's a long, uh, long-term care unit. Go to the hospital this afternoon. I'm telling you, there'll be people there playing their guitars, singing, bringing cheer to the lonely and the needy. Nursing home visitation. We have nursing homes all over this county. University housing visitation. I went out a couple, three Sabbaths ago. I went to Benton Harbor and said, okay, we've, we've, we've talked about the poor in our midst. And so I went out. I, you know... I, I went out. You know, I, I enjoy a Sabbath afternoon nap probably about as much as you do. But I think there's a refreshing that God gives when you give yourself. In fact, don't miss our next teaching. Don't miss it. The incredible supernatural blessings that's gonna, that are going to be poured into your life when you take Isaiah 58 seriously. It's phenomenal. Statist- empirically now shown to be true. Anyway, I went out and I said, God, I don't know where I'm going in this place. Look at all these apartments. And so I had a prayer in my uh, little blazer before getting out. I said, God, would you please lead me to wherever you want? I don't know which building to start with. And so I just parked. I walked toward a building. I went up three doors. Knock, knock. No one home. Knock, knock. No one home. Knock, knock. No one home. I'm getting ready to go on to the next level. I'm just going door to door. And then suddenly the door opens. International student. She said, I was praying last night that I could talk to you. Last night I was praying. I said in my mind, God, you really do answer those prayers, don't you? I asked you to pick a building for me. You picked the one where the woman was praying last night. You pushed me away from a dinner table so that this appointment could be kept. Thank you, Jesus. So you can do it. When I was in the, you know, faculty can do this, by the way. Sometimes they were so busy after we'd done everything all week, just give me the Sabbath to crash. Well, that's true. You deserve it because you do work hard. When I was here at Andrews University as a student, graduate student, one Sabbath afternoon, there was a knock at the door. You know who was at the door? He came in. Dr. Richard Hamill, the president of this university, he walked right in and said, I'm out visiting. Can we talk? Well, we had a little 15, 20-minute visit. You know, he was a busy man probably too. You're busy? Hey. You could. You wouldn't have to do it maybe every Sabbath. Maybe just take four Sabbaths of every month. I'm going to go door to door. What's funny about that? (laughs) All right. 
Start a Sabbath meal on wheels ministry for shut-ins. We've got them. Just get a bunch of your families together and say, okay, we're taking food. We're taking food. Just call us at the office. We'll tell you where the shut-ins are. Write letters and cards to the lonely. Create and maintain a personal website for the lonely. Help your neighbor with his sheep in the well. That would be emergency care. You know what I mean. Shovel a senior citizen's driveway. Don't do that in the summer. It really gets them mad. You're just out there scraping. You say, well, the pastor said we're supposed to do it. All right. Help with some needy kids on a Sabbath morning. What in the world are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about 19 critical needs on a Sabbath morning. We've got needy kids right here. Some of them, this is the only worship they get is when they come to this church on a Sabbath morning. Some of them, they're dropped off by their parents. We don't know where their parents are, but they're left here until somewhere halfway through second service when mom and dad remember to come and show up and get their children. We have needy kids in this church. In the bulletin today is a sign-up sheet. We need 19 of you to say, I'd be willing to not sit in this Sabbath school and get blessed. I'd be willing to. It's more blessed to give than receive. I'd be willing to give instead. I need 19 of you to sign up today, right now, on a little piece of paper in the bulletin. You see that? It's that green slip. Sign up and say, I'll give. Come on, Dwight. I can do that. I'll be. I'll join. I can play the piano. There are 19 needs. 19 positions right now, Donna Hobbinick tells me. Nineteen. You can do it. Give up your Sabbath school class. You study the Bible anyway all week long. Give it up. Teach the Bible to children. 271 kids are homeless. How many do we have needy kids in this church on a Sabbath morning? You can do it. I know you can. Fill in your own ministry. There it is. Whatever. Sabbath afternoons are a gift from God through you to the poor, the suffering, the lonely, and the needy for us time-impoverished postmoderns who really, truly desire to embrace Jesus' solidarity with the poor. Isn't the Sabbath a wonderful gift? It's no wonder Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, and I like this in the New Living, the Sabbath was made to benefit people and not people to benefit the Sabbath. Ah, come and join me. Do whatever your heart desires to do in honor of your Lord, but do something. Do something, please. It's a matter, it's a, it's a matter of solidarity, not with the poor, but with Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath.